Over the past three years, China-Australia relations have hit an all-time low. The two countries have acrimoniously clashed over a range of issues, from the origins of COVID-19 to the ban on Huawei. But is the newly elected administration in Canberra ready to mend bridges with Beijing? And is Australia's new foreign minister, Penny Wong, the right person to do it? This is a CNA interview with Penny Wong, recorded in June 2022 with me, Ling Xue Ling, in Singapore. Penny Wong, welcome to In Conversation. It's great to be with you, Lynn. Thank you. Minister, do you see China as your enemy? No, I, I think we recognise the role China plays in the regional and global economy and the benefits to the Chinese people of the extraordinary development in China. What we do have an interest in is a region and a world in which there is peace, prosperity, in which sovereignty is respected, and critically, where disputes are not resolved by power and size, but by reference to laws and norms that the international community has agreed, because that gives stability and it enables predictability. And do you feel that China is not doing that? We are focused on the sort of region we want. We've made our views clear about, for example, China's decision to impose what we regard as coercive economic measures on us. But China is not going anywhere. And the new Australian government has made it very clear. We are open to engagement. But the bilateral relationship with China is not the only thing which is important to us. What is most important to us is the region in which we live, which is why I'm here again in Southeast Asia, and why we spent so much time since we were elected engaging with partners here globally and also in the Pacific. Observers say the appointment of an Asian-Australian of Hakka Chinese descent is a sign that the new elected government in Canberra is shifting its foreign policy focus firmly back to Asia. But Southeast Asians, well, they remain wary about Canberra's coziness with the United States. Some commentators worry that Australia's participation in AUKUS a security pact with the US and the United Kingdom will raise the possibility of conflict here in Southeast Asia. Is the new administration in Canberra looking for a reset with everybody, with China, with Southeast Asia? The better term to use in relation to the relationship with China is stabilise. It would be in our mutual interests for there to be greater stability in the relationship. Whoever wins government in Australia, there are structural differences because of who we are and our interests that will have to be managed by this government in the context of the relationship with China. But I think it's very important to not look at the region only through the prism of China. The region is where we see our future, our economic future, our economic prosperity and our security. It's a famous former Labor Prime Minister who talked about security in Asia, not security from Asia, Mr Keating. And that's the approach in today's world that we also take, which is why you will see us engaging so closely, not just with Singapore, but with Indonesia, Malaysia and the other countries of ASEAN. Keating also proposed membership of ASEAN for Australia. Is that something that you would like to bring back onto the table? Look, we are very pleased that we are a comprehensive strategic partner of ASEAN. We are one of only two countries, I think, to be have a CSP with ASEAN as an entity. And in fact, one of the early visits I made to Southeast Asia, which was to Jakarta with the Prime Minister, we also went to the ASEAN Secretariat and spoke not only to the Secretary General but to the permanent representatives about how we would take forward the Comprehensive Strategic Partnership and, and really give it uh, much more weight. But not membership 
of oh, ASEAN? I think, I think that we're a dialogue partner, we're a comprehensive strategic partner, we will continue to engage very closely. But if your question really what underlies it is ASEAN centrality, which I think it is, <laughs> we are strong supporters of and deeply committed to ASEAN centrality. And in fact, the speech I'm giving in Singapore will talk about what we think that means. Well, if Australia is supposed to have this shared future with ASEAN, why is it that the recent security pacts seem to be with countries who are thousands of kilometres away? If we look at AUKUS, one may ask, that's caused some disquiet in the uh, Southeast Asian capitals. Why have agreements, security reasons, or some might even say not so nice security reasons, with people very far away, with well, countries who are very distant? Let's remember our most long-standing security partnership is here in Southeast Asia, is with the Five Powers Defence Arrangement. So that precedes and continues the sorts of arrangements you're talking about. But look, we know we live in a, a period of strategic competition, and Southeast Asia is no stranger to great power competition. In fact, the history of Southeast Asia is one in which the region has had to negotiate and traverse great power competition through many points in history, yes. But we see, first, the quad arrangements as contributing to the sort of strategic equilibrium that will benefit the region, not define it, but will benefit. And in terms of AUKUS, I know there's been a lot of focus on that. Australia has a, a submarine capability. We're looking to replace that. There are many countries in the, in the region that already have nuclear-powered submarines. Some of them have nuclear-armed submarines. We do not seek that capability. We simply are looking to replace an old capability with a new capability, and we will do so in full transparency with our partners and respectful of non-proliferation obligations in which we have a really strong record historically. What about some commentators who say, is Australia still then going to play this special role for the US? And that you are America's deputy well, sheriff. Not an expression I know that every Australian politician likes, but it has been used. Well, and sometimes I'd, I'd question the motivations of those using it. Australia acts in Australia's national interest, as Singapore does, as Indonesia does, as Malaysia does, as China does. So you are we, not the America's we, we, deputy we, sheriff? Uh, we, we are an ally, but we act in our national interests. So we can, we can put that, well, we can put that I, I, phrase I just, to rest. I, just, I think that is not the way in which we see ourselves. We see ourselves as a strong ally of the United States and ultimately Australia makes decisions in its national interests. Australian Foreign Minister Penny Wong was born in Sabah in Malaysia and she's the first Asian-born Australian to become Canberra's top diplomat. In June 2022, Wong embarked on an official charm tour of Southeast Asia, ostensibly to rekindle friendships with Australia's neighbours. But commentators say this was also to make sure that China, which is ASEAN's biggest trading partner, doesn't end up being the totally dominant influence in the region. If we look at how you've been presenting this to your counterparts, you're the first Asian-born uh, Australian to be foreign minister and you've been talking to the Vietnamese, to the Malaysians, and you're now in Singapore. How have you been presenting these security concerns that you have and this desire for stability in the, in the, to your counterparts? What same, have you been saying well, to I them? I think it goes to what sort of region we want. 
And I think we should always take it back to that because it's easy to get distracted by people's different agendas or different views. Ultimately, the question is, whatever differences we might have, whatever our priorities and how they might differ, ultimately, we do actually want very similar things in terms of the characteristics of the region we want because we understand those characteristics fundamentally go to our security and our potential to continue to be economically prosperous. But I would make a point about why I talk about my background. It's actually not so much about me. <laughs> it's actually about my country. The country to which I now belong is a country which has one in two of its peoples either born overseas or, with a, or a parent born overseas. That says something profoundly important about who we are. Just as our Indigenous Australians, our First Nations people, say something profoundly important about who we are. So one of the commitments I made before the election, and I'm determined as Foreign Minister to make my best effort on it, is to project the reality of modern Australia to the region and the world. But it may be said that some would say that Australia doesn't have historically that wonderful track record concerning sure. no, persons of course who aren't, do. to put it bluntly, white. Of course. My parents married when the White Australia policy was still in place. Before. Exactly. So, so. But I'm also Australia's foreign minister and I've been the finance minister. And that says something about our country and what, how we have developed and owned that history and on a bipartisan, the collective basis, rejected that policy setting decades ago. Just as we collectively engaged in an apology to our First Nations people for wrongs that were done. And just as this government was elected with a commitment to further steps for reconciliation with our First Nations people. So the story of modern Australia is a story of a, a multicultural nation that, that is, you know, I think, one of the most successful multicultural sto um, you know, stories on the planet. Um, a modern dynamic country, modern, modern <laughs> dynamic country, which is so focused on what we can do in this world and drawing on our heritage and who we are. That is a story that I want to make sure I tell to the world. In June this year, the defence ministers of China and Australia met on the sidelines of the Shangri-La Dialogue in Singapore. Commentators say this signals a thaw in the two-year diplomatic freeze between the two countries. But Canberra continues to press baiting to lift what it sees as punitive tariffs on Australian exports, from wine to coal and seafood. On the other hand, Beijing is demanding that Australia abandon the Quad and AUKUS, which it labels as military packs to counter China. Can trade and security truly be separated? Is the framing of friend and foe mm. in our current foreign policy, people keep talking about that. Is, is that this actually, yours or ours? Well, I think that generally speaking, it's been this used a lot. Is that, yeah. is that damaging to relationships rather than countries looking at specific state actions? That's a good question. One of the things Singapore really brings to the table is I think you have very acute strategic thinkers in your politicians and in your academics. And I've certainly benefited from engagement and reading some of what has been written and said. And this comes back to my earlier point about the region. I think if you focus on, are you with us or against us? It's the wrong question, often. You also add to the risks associated with the more competitive environment in which we live. And we understand that we live in a time of strategic competition, but what we have to do together is to avert that escalating. But we, that's we, difficult, and isn't it? It is very difficult. But one of the points I make is instead of the friend or foe frame, come back to what do we want? 
You may not agree with how Australia has handled some things, but you would agree that you want trade arrangements to be predictable. So why, for example, something like Huawei then? How to say, why is it that Australia decides that this is, so to say, not friendly? We made decisions just as Singapore can make its own decisions and just as China can make its own decisions about investment in our critical infrastructure. That's a sovereign decision that other nations also exercise. But it implies, therefore, well, that well, Huawei I, I, is not an independent well, company and therefore well, can't be trusted. No, but we can make that a decision about investment in critical infrastructure as other nations do. But doesn't it bring us back to this unfortunate friend and foe no, framing? I, think I don't use that language. And I again say we want a region where sovereignty is respected. We want a region where power and size do not determine outcomes. We want a region and a world where trade, food security, economic engagement are not weaponised for strategic purposes. And I actually think that's the same thing Singapore, Indonesia and Malaysia want. Do you think that ASEAN will ever overtake China as Australia's largest trading partner? If you look at the trajectories of where Indonesia's economy might go by 2030, ASEAN is such an extraordinary entity and collection of, of different nations and different economies. So, you know, I, I hope for the people of Southeast Asia that that development continues. But you don't necessarily see that happening. China is such a large trading yeah, partner so, so, for Australia. It is, but China's a large trading partner of many countries. Um, the US is, I think, our largest investment partner. You know, I do come from the, the school that thinks that diversified, engaged trading and financial relationships are a good thing for stability. And you think also that can extend to security as well, or do you want to keep that separate? In other words, trade is in one corner and security is another. Well, I don't think Australia is a country that's sought to weaponise trading arrangements. And who do you think has? Well, I'll just make that point. I don't think we are. <laughs> in fact, Australia, as you know, we may not be quite as open in terms of trade as Singapore, but we are an economy that has developed in great part because of our position in world markets and our capacity to sell into world markets. We have consistently, over decades, been advocates for open, fair and predictable trading arrangements under successive governments. So no contradiction, you feel, between having to trade with a country as well as having security arrangements that may not be in their favour? Well, I, I'm, I'm not going to comment on what others think that our security arrangements are. What I'd say to you is Australia is a country that seeks stability and peace. And we are a middle power or a substantial power. We're not a superpower. You know, we have a very similar interest to the countries of ASEAN, which is we want that peace and stability, but we will engage with other countries in the interests of that peace and stability. So, Minister, final question. What is the phrase that you would like to use when talking about China-Australia relations? Well, stability and the respectful management of difference. And between Australia and ASEAN, what is that phrase that you hope that people will always say when they look at ASEAN and you look at Australia. Partners, close friends. Minister Penny Wong, thank you very much for being on In Conversation. It's been great, thank you. You've been listening to a podcast version of a television interview with Australian Foreign Minister Penny Wong on CNA's longest-running weekly interview show, In Conversation. When in season, In Conversation airs every Wednesday, 9pm, Singapore time, on Mediacorp CNA. You can also catch us online at cna.asia or on YouTube. I'm executive producer Ling Xueling, and thanks for listening.